0: Hello folks, welcome to another episode of the Dialogic Podcast with Jake J. Thomas of Jake J. Thomas Photo on Instagram and Facebook. You can see my website at jakejthomasphoto.com. A lot has been going on the last week and a half. I haven't been able to get in here to record another episode since the last one, which was close to the election. But yeah, California has been on fire. The holiday season approaches. Much to do, much to do, much to do. Finally, we've got a rain. First real rain of the year. And that is something to be grateful for. Today is Turkey Day. I'm going to call it Turkey Day for now because it's a troubled day. It's a day with some serious historic baggage and I don't want to call it Thanksgiving although I do believe in gratitude I think gratitude is very important but I think we've got some work to do in that direction and I want to be respectful to my native brothers and sisters who must feel some sort of way on this day You know, the last episode, The Roots of Racism, talked about how the person who first used the word racism was responsible for starting a school that took Native American children away from their reservations and forcefully assimilated them into dominant American culture. Which, of course, is a sad thing considering the loss of languages, the loss of tribal customs, the disconnection of people to their families, and today is really a day all about family. So, it's kind of a mixed bag, as it always is, I think, you know, and it's like, I think you need to pay attention to both, the positives and the negatives, because if you just pay attention to the positives, I mean, that's an easy recipe. Right. And that that's, that's nice. I like that. There's something smart about that because, you know, we want to stay motivated. We want to stay happy. We want to stay functioning. But we also want to be smart. And that means we have to take a look at what's going on. we got to be critically minded as well. Critically minded. As well as using the optimism of our wills you know, and all these things really do come together. They come together very, very poignantly, I think. I take, for instance, first of all, the fires. Now, there's a lot of controversy surrounding the fires, and there's politics surrounding the fires, and, you know, the various players have come out to take their position on the stage and say their part, and play their role. Meanwhile, hundreds of thousands of acres have gone up into smoke. Countless animals have been killed or displaced. Hundreds of people are still missing. Almost 100 people have been confirmed dead. Thousands of structures were lost. You know, this is the most devastating wildfire in the state's history it's the third most destructive (coughs) excuse me it's the third most destructive event natural disaster in the state of california and that includes the 1906 earthquake which started fires all around the city of san francisco and was a pivotal moment in the history of the state San Francisco had to be rebuilt and it changed the entire character of the place you know these moments of natural disaster do mark a kind of uh, rupture in the normal flow of time and they are kind of a a moment in history when change rapidly accelerates and I think there's something hopeful to be found in that but it's also something to proceed with caution while discussing because I don't want to be callous towards anybody I think that what we're coming to realize is how serious our situation is You know, and people have probably always thought that one way or another. I mean, the whole idea of apocalypse has been around for a long, long time before global warming ideas or climate change. There were different ways that people thought about the end of the world. There were plagues. There were famines. There were always threats looming on the horizon and just the mere fact of survival has never been a given nothing that any human has ever been able to take for granted and the struggle to create a culture in the face of this uncertainty has always been a challenging thing but humans have done amazing things have achieved tremendous feats while the uncertainty of the future loomed. And this moment is no different than those moments, and our challenges are no more daunting than theirs were. So if we draw strength from our collective ancestry, from our past, from that DNA, that spiritual legacy that's with us now, And we honor our grandparents our great-grandparents our ancient ancestors and we look at our situation we can decide to build the future that we want because nothing here is fixed everything is fluid everything is subject to change and change it will whether we are in the driver's seat of that change or whether we are running from the flames of it, change is going to come. So this moment, like all moments, is a good time to stop and reflect, to look back, to think about where we're going, to think about where we want to go and how we want to get there. <clears throat> and I, for one, I am envisioning a future that has more tolerance towards other people, more embracing of cultural differences, more accountability and responsibility for why we have what we have, more ability to share, to be generous, to understand what our real best interests are. And specifically, we have to return to the concept of the fires. Now, Native Americans in California used to do seasonal burns to keep the underbrush down. They had a system of fire management that we abandoned. And that is just one of the many ways that we lost a lineage of knowledge and of practical use. Things that we could do to make life safer, to make life better in our relationship with the landscape, with the environment. Now, as these fires raged, we had the Difficulty of dealing with the emergency and coping with the grief, the trauma of it all. And, you know, it's amazing how quickly these things are coming these days because the fire started, the campfire started the same time that a fire started in Southern California, which was just days after a mass shooting occurred. How do all these things come together? Well, they're our present moment. They are our challenges. They're our mystery to unriddle. They're our problem to solve. We have to come up with a solution to why these things are happening. And I don't think any kind of easy blame is going to lead us to a good answer. But if we think critically about the problems and if we're thoughtful In our approach to creating solutions. I'm sure we can do better. You know. And part of that has to do with. Healing. The discord. Of our nation. What is plaguing. Our nation. Why is there. So much conflict. What is the source of all of this unrest? How do we find a way to heal? How can we move forward with compassion and empathy for the people who we don't understand? Because there are certainly going to be people we don't understand in this world, in this diverse imagined community that we call a country. There are people who seem to be opposed to our ways of living as we stand opposed to theirs by doing nothing more than living the way we learn to live. And I don't feel like we all need to have this sense of guilt for having been born where we were born, when we were born, and lived the way we were learned, the way we learned to live. These things are natural and they're not our fault but paying attention to our history paying attention to our surroundings thinking critically about how to do it better is our responsibility so that's what I want to say I don't believe in guilt but I believe in responsibility and when we see major problems like we do see, it's time to really get active in our problem-solving mode. You know, and I really approach life as an artist, but I'm also a thinker. I have that dichotomy inside of me And it forms the way that I think about the world. I both see the world as an opportunity for creating, for making beautiful photographs, for telling stories, for coming up with new forms through painting, through multimedia, by chronicling, documenting some of the things that are happening that I like some of the things that I don't like. But I'm also a thinker. I have a philosophical bent. I have a critical faculty. And I like to combine these things together. So when I look at something like these forest fires, for example, I know there is a better solution And I know that if we want to avoid the same fate next year, then we need to get active now. Now, one of the things that is in the way is the way that we talk about things as a nation. Our national dialogue needs some work. And I was talking to a a great old friend the other day about some of the things he's encountered in business and just in culture in general. And basically, it's like this, there's no middle ground. There's no true meritocracy. There's no do good work and get rewarded. It's like everyone has to hustle and lie or, I mean, lying is actually a good word because it's about negotiating. And it's about, when you go to a negotiating table, you have to ask for more than you actually want, which is a lie. But you have to do that because you know if you don't, then you're going to lowball yourself. And if you just ask for what you want, then they're going to come back with a lower offer and you're going to end up somewhere lower than what you actually want. And this is a very bizarre precondition for doing business, that if you want to do business, you have to be a good liar. You have to ask for more than you really want to get what you actually want. So the pragmatics of that, the actual practice of negotiating, is about being a liar. And that leads into culture, right? So we have a president who is a businessman, and he's a good negotiator. He makes deals. He's a skillful liar. And whether or not you agree with me that he's skillful, or if you just think he's stupid, that's up to you to decide. But what I think is that he's very effective at telling persuasive lies, And at the same time, he's calling out the opposition by saying that they're lying. And each side is going back and forth and saying, you're lying, you're lying, you're bad, you're bad. And somewhere in the middle is the outcome. But it just seems like this rhetoric, this way of approaching our public discourse is having these very toxic effects. So the president, in speaking about California, said something that is probably true. But because there's such a toxic discourse, because people are so worked up one way or the other, it's very difficult for anybody to see that truth without being offensive. You know, I think what he said that was true is that we need to figure out how to manage our forests better. That goes back to the native peoples who managed the forests better. They lived here long enough to understand the frequency of fires, the destructiveness of fires, and they found a way to use fire to prevent fire. Now, that is something that we need to figure out ourselves, but there are other ways to do it. There are modern ways to do it. You know, there's so much underbrush. There's so much fuel in our forests, and we could use labor to remove that fuel, to put it in a place where we could put it to good use. We could make paper out of it. We could make fire pellets out of it. We could use it in a constructive way. Because fire is a powerful, positive force. But when it's out of control, as it was during the campfire and the fire in Southern California, it becomes something so unthinkably destructive that there's nothing to do but pray, fight it, hope for rain, count the dead, rebuild again. And that is a very reactive, horrible place to be. But so there's two things that I want to think about today. And then I want to return to some more creative and fun ideas too. But what I want to think about is, how do we create a public discourse that is worthy of our trust? Okay, so one of the things that the Trump administration has done is by attacking the press, creating the term fake news, calling into question the authenticity, the reliability of reporting. There's possibly a good side to that, but there's also obviously a bad side to that. The good side is We ought to be thoughtful and questioning. We shouldn't just take anything for granted as being true. There is no objective truth when it comes to history or the news. There are only interpretations. The very way that we tell a story is in itself some form that has a subjective quality to it. You know, I think that Hayden White that was part of his work as a meta historian was looking at the way history tells its stories modeled after how literature performs and so necessarily we bring in to our understanding of historical narratives all of these tools that we've learned from fictional stories as well so we have heroes we have villains we have plot, and a lot of times the way history unravels might be very different than that. But the way that we understand it is through narrative, and that narrative is always formed in a certain way that brings values to it. It's not objective, it's not impartial, it's always biased. But we've gotten to a point now where the distrust of the news is so much that people are almost in denial of any sort of objective reality. And, you know, this is something that postmodernists have been thinking about for a long time, that there is no truth, there's only perception, that there's only interpretation, there's only argument. And this leads us to the will to power. Whoever has the strongest Whoever makes the strongest case gets to take the cake. But I think that we can control the narrative better. Let me give you an example. While I do think it is good to question authority of all forms and to think critically about whatever information we receive, I also think that there's a certain baseline of trust that we have to have in order to live our lives. So, for example, I would use the analogy of roads. So, we have a public public transportation system. We have a series of roads that we didn't build. They're built by private companies with contracts with the government. They're built publicly. Now, we also have maps. And while there probably is a certain amount of dishonesty in the building of roads, there's probably corruption, there's probably lying, we have to trust the roads. When we get into our car and we go to the store, we trust that the road is going to be there and is going to lead us where we want to go. And because we've done it so many times, our experience verifies our belief that the roads are sound and that they lead where we think they will. That doesn't mean that tomorrow there couldn't be a huge hole in the road that the roads couldn't be gone. And, but that doesn't stop us from using the roads while they're whole, while they do exist in a way that's functional. And I think that we need to get to a place with our news that's similar to the way we use the roads. Sure, there may be problems. Sure, there may be corruptions. But there has to be a baseline that we can agree upon. This leads to this. And when we don't have that, we don't have a map. We don't have an ability to direct our future. So I think that's a huge thing that we need to work on collectively. Is coming to... An agreement about the functional use of our news our news is like a system of roads and we have to navigate to make decisions so we need to have some trust in the news and for example when we talk about the fires I think that's a place where we can understand that we do trust the news We do believe that the reporting is accurate. And when it isn't accurate, you know that there are mistakes. There's this tremendous pressure to be first with the news. The news is a business as well. And there's definitely problems with that. You know, when people rush and they try to get the first scoop, they make mistakes. And... You know, that's where the, the analogy to the roads sort of breaks down because anybody can create their own news. You can't just go create your own road. But through the use of the news, I think we will come to a place where we decide that these sources are reliable enough to get us from here to there. Anyways, that is my hope. Because without that baseline of understanding, it's going to be very, very difficult for us ever to make any decisions that lead us to a better place. And the news is just the first part of that, but I think that we also have to find a way to ratchet down the rhetoric so that we don't have to approach any situation so far to one side, based on the fear that we're going to be lowballed and pushed onto the other side. I think that we need to shoot for the middle. We need to understand that both sides have ideas that have validity, that both sides are worth listening to. And as soon as we can stop being so hyperbolic in our exaggerations, then we will have a much easier time finding the truth. And I'm not even saying that the truth is objective. The truth may be made up of millions of subjective ideas, but to find a common ground... To live in the same landscape, to face the same conditions, we have to have some common understanding. The fires were a serious wake-up call to the people of California, and the people of California responded with great vigor to help out their loved ones, to help out the people that they don't know. The outpouring of donations of care was something positive to see. But I hope that we don't have to rely upon natural disasters to bring us into this place of giving. There are natural disasters or unnatural disasters affecting people around the state all the time. And there are people who are working to help them all the time, too. This is just one of those moments where it's such a dramatic change. It's such a devastating tragedy that such a powerful response is needed. But I think that we can, we can learn from that and we can take from that to continue this spirit of resilience, the spirit of generosity, to try and make things better for everyone in the future. Because when we start to look at our state from that perspective as a team, as a whole, as a group, as a family, then we really have the ability to help each other out and to be better overall. Because the better we all do, the better it is for everyone. And that simple, lesson that the fires taught us is something we can take forward and build from because we're going to have to rebuild there's going to be a lot of reconstruction and this is an opportunity for us to rethink how we do things and forest management surely has to be one of those things that we rethink so I just wanted to check in with you all today on Turkey Day to say to my native brothers and sisters, I love you, and I hope that we all can work together towards.